0: Hello and welcome to a very special bonus episode of our Patreon-only podcast, Let's Uncomplicate This. I'm your host, Marcia lane Mickey, the Community Organizing and Outreach Coordinator of Catholics United for Black Lives. And for this episode, I am joined again by our board president, Ms. Dee Dee Miller. Today, we're going to be talking about, possibly trying to uncomplicate the current conflict in Israel and Hamas, helping you understand the history of the conflict, where we are now, and we're going to talk a little bit about just war theory and the dignity of human life as it pertains to this situation specifically. As always, we're going to be talking about current news stories from a consistent life ethic, as well as an anti-racist angle. So without further ado, please join us in this episode. Dee, Dee welcome back to Let's Uncomplicate This. How have you been since the last time we talked? I've been
1: fine. Busy, but fine. How about you? Busy, but fine. <laughs>
0: <laughs> busy there's a lot this. going on <laughs> I do I have so much going on but it's okay it is okay um that like it's life life happens you know <laughs> so like I said listeners I've invited Didi back to the show because I need things to be uncomplicated for me on this issue and I am sure that you out there do as well so Dee, historian educator Catholic woman of God, I need you to (laughs) uncomplicate the conflict with Israel and Hamas for us today, please. Okay. It's a
1: tall order, but I will do my best. (laughs) Awesome. Um, I want to start with Cabot's. First, many, many books, many, many lectures, many, many courses have been taught on the Israeli-Palestine conflict. And it is possible to look at the same set of information and come away with it with very different points of view. Um, if this were a simple situation, we would not be having an Israeli-Palestinian conflict all these decades later. So it is something that is well and truly complicated. And I remember when I used to teach um, this conflict conflict to my students, um, I always used to start by asking them, you know, who's the winner? Like, who do you think is right? Do you think it's Israel or do you think it's Palestine? And I would always ask them to write down why. And then we would go through the lesson and then I would say, now, what do you think? Um, because I think, especially living in America, our, historically, our media has been very pro-Israel. Our government is very pro-Israel. And so I think the vast majority of Americans will say that they are pro-Israel, which is not necessarily the wrong approach but it's one that oftentimes we take without being critical about taking it because it's the majority opinion. So in the spirit of uncomplicating things, I also really want to complicate this and say, who do you think is right? And have you you critiqued it? Right? Um, I, I think that's important. Until you really like interrogate your own beliefs on this issue, I don't think we can get to a solution. Because we have to be looking at it according to the facts. Um, first of all, this this territory that we're talking about of of Palestine had never really been called Palestine until probably the the twentieth century. Uh, it had it had um, in biblical times been called the Kingdom of Israel, Kingdom of Judea, um, and In the New Testament, we read about this area being under the control of the Roman Empire. Um, But before that, this area had been under control of Egypt and ancient Egypt, and it had been under the control of um, Persia, the Persian Empire. And then after New Testament times, um, starting about the 600s, the area had been under the control of various um, Islamic caliphates. And then there were the Crusades, in which the area flip-flopped hands between Christians and Arab nations, um, until you get to modern times. Uh, In the run-up to World War I, the area was under the control of the Ottoman Empire. And the Ottoman Empire took a variety of approaches to um, administering the region, but basically they allowed the local people to live their lives and govern themselves so long as they um, took care of their responsibilities to the Ottoman Empire. There was a brief period when Egypt takes over again, and then Egypt gives the territory back to the Ottoman Empire. And then we get to World War One. The British end up declaring war on the Ottoman Empire. And after World War I, this area that we now think of as Palestine comes under the control of the British. Okay. Um, so an important thing I always like to point out is in terms of administrating, administration of the area, it was under a variety of, of kinds of Islamic rule from the mid-600s until 1920. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So, this is not to say that there were not jewish people there there absolutely were but i think we all are at least on some level um, familiar with the jewish diaspora Uh, that diaspora really was um, kicked off in um, the early 100s so during the time the new testament was written that diaspora was occurring Um, and so there was no like, state that could be independently controlled by the Jewish people in the area we now call Palestine, although they were certainly still there. So many left, but also some stayed. And there were, there were temples there, there was culture, there was, there was language, um, all of that was still there for a small Jewish population, but, um, but there was no, no Jewish control of that region uh, after biblical times, basically until 1948. Wow. Yeah. So, all right. So then what's Israel's argument for, um, their nation state? Their argument basically has four parts. First of all, that God gave them that land. And we read about that in the old Testament. Right. Um, and then their second argument is that they've always been there. They never left. And also, in that same vein, that a nation called Palestine never existed there. Then, sort of, the third thread of their argument is that the United Nations sort of gave them the green light to establish a um, a nation in what is thought of as Palestine now. And then, the fourth leg of their argument is that they have won several defensive wars that have confirmed their authority to be in the region.
0: Okay. I am just, okay. It sounds like eminent domain, but sure. (laughs) I don't know if that's bad to say.
1: (laughs) Well, okay. So let's, uh, let's, let's get a little bit more detailed and let's talk about how it is that the UN came to be involved in this in the first place. Yeah. That's where
0: I'm just like, where can you you just decide? Like that's what I mean. That's (laughs) what I mean. That's why it sounds like eminent domain to me.
1: Right. Right. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So, The Zionist movement, which is the movement to create a homeland for the Jewish people in the Holy Land. uh, The Zionist movement um, really starts to gain political traction right around the end of the 19th century, beginning of the 20th century. So we have um, uh, some Jewish people in the diaspora um, call for a Zionist Congress. And so we have the first Zionist Congress in 1897. It is at that Zionist Congress that we get something called the uh, Basel Program. And the Basel Program basically says that the Jewish people need to reestablish a homeland in what is now known as Palestine. And that in order to do that, they need to, uh, pe- Jews in the diaspora, need to go back and reestablish residency in the homeland. And then also, you need to advocate for support from other uh, political powers. Now, when this idea of Zionism was first brought up, it was actually kind of unpopular. Um, With the majority of Jewish people, they had sort of settled in various places. They were comfortably established in their lives. They absolutely had to deal with a lot of anti-Semitism, especially in Europe, Um, but they had established lives. And so the Zionist uh, movement was sort of slow to take off, but it absolutely did take off. Um, So another key event that happens is that um, in 1917, we get something from the British called the Balfour Declaration. Okay. And this declaration was made during World War I. And basically what it was, was that the British government promised to help the Jewish people establish a homeland in Palestine. Now, the British found themselves in the position to be able to promise such because they had declared war against the Ottoman Empire in 1914, yes. right, yes. and uh, the Ottoman Empire lost. So, after World War One, then the European powers are trying to figure out what to do with the lands of those who had lost. And so, that one of the areas under consideration is Palestine. So that that area of Palestine, sort of after we get through the League of Nations negotiations for what to do after World War One the area that we think of as Palestine comes under the administrative control of the British. And so the British have what's called a mandate for Palestine.
0: Huh. Okay.
1: So, and so oh, go ahead.
0: No, I just, I'm like, I'm listening to you to say this and I'm just kind of like, this is like what like the Roman wars and stuff like with Attila the Hun, like taking land and being like, I want this. I can't, I guess I didn't imagine like it was still happening like even a hundred years ago.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's, you know, it's the spoils of war, right? Yeah. Uh, the winners sometimes carve up the losers' territories. So the the successor nation to the Ottoman Empire um, are the Turks. So Turkey is the successor nation, um, and there are some, there are lots of other smaller nations that also are a part of what used to be the Ottoman Empire. But yeah, oh. I mean, the Ottomans, the Ottomans lost in World War One, and so they lost some of their territory too. That was a part I, of the treaty.
0: I didn't realize that. So I, when I think of the Ottoman Empire, like I think of like real old art that's worth a lot. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And like all these things, I don't think. Here's the thing: I did not think it was as recent as it is mm-hmm. that you're saying. And so, anyway, I'm just fascinated. Keep going. Keep teaching. Yeah, me.
1: yeah. So it's world. So it's World War One. Okay. So, um, so this mandate of Palestine that sort of comes out of League of Nations, and again, the League of Nations is how. Peace is negotiated after World War One. Okay. What comes out of that is a binding obligation on the British to establish a home for Jews in Palestine. Mm-hmm. And so the British maintain administrative control of that area uh, and they promise to protect, they kind of promise to both protect um the Jewish people and their interests and in some ways to protect the Palestinians. Um, but it's not perfect. And in, in twenty seventeen the British actually apologized, um, and they said that they should have done more to protect the political interests of the Palestinians. Okay. So I mean, but
0: they're colonizers. Like the Br- like the Brits literally are colonizers. Yes. So I don't know why people thought they could get in bed with them.
1: Right. So okay. um so yeah, they so they failed <laughs> so they failed so fail to adequately protect the Arab Palestinians um many Arab Palestinians ended up fleeing in 1947 the UN gets involved in this territory and they try to broker what's called a partition plan so the 1947 partition plan This plan uh, would have established two states an Israeli state and a Palestinian state but those two states would have had economic union, so their economies would have been united, even as they were two separate states. The city of Jerusalem itself, because it is important to Jews and Muslims and Christians, would have been under UN control, so not under control of either the Israelis or the Palestinians. There was a lot of talk back and forth, um, but the Palestinians rejected this plan. this was and and their argument was that this was their homeland nobody had asked them about dividing this up and they didn't see any reason why there needed to be a state of israel especially when no one had asked them okay um so the partition plan falls apart um but before it has a chance to fall apart completely britain decided to end its administrative control of the region so in 1948 Britain exits and in 1948 Israel declares itself an independent nation in Palestine. So then uh, what in, yeah so then what immediately happens is there's a war. The Arab League, which was made up of about five different Arab nations, immediately invades um, this, this fledgling nation of Israel um, and they lose. Israel wins. And so there's several wars back and forth, uh, a very significant one happening in 1967 called the Six-Day War, um, which sort of finally leads to the ceding of some additional Arab territories. And in particular, related to our current conflict, East Jerusalem ends up being ceded to the Israelis during the Six-Day War in 1967. Um, And Israel is established. Israel gets international support, international recognition, uh, arms support, uh, government support, etc. And so, Israel, the nation that we know today, was established in 1948.
0: Yes. Yeah. My grandmother was eight. That's what's blowing my mind.
1: Mm-hmm. Like
0: I, like, that's why I was like, oh my gosh, because Israel's always been a thing in our lifetime.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it has, it has always been a thing. And so for us, we we take Israel for granted. We sort of, you know, it's always been there. Like, it's always been a state. And so then it's it's easy to wonder, like, why there's always so much conflict. Because in our lifetime, Israel's always been there. It's always been. Well, a- the source of the conflict, the conflict is this history, right? This was disputed land. Um, and the people, the Palestinian people... Um, they never agreed to a state of Israel. And so from their side of the equation, they have always felt like Israel was imposed on them from the outside, mm-hmm. right? It's the United States, United Nations, it's the British who are imposing a state of Israel uh, on them. And they see the United Nations, um, including the United States and also the British as propping up this nation that shouldn't exist in the first place. Right, yeah, but now if but if you're Israel, like that's all very hostile to you, right, because they they quite literally don't want you to exist, yeah. um, and so the Israeli side of that is that they feel like um they're under constant threat and under constant attack, and therefore that they have to um they have to be relentless in defense of their nation, okay. So the, so that's the two sides. The Palestinians feel sort of put upon, feel like they're trying to be forced out of their homeland, and the Israelis feel like they're constantly under attack and that they have to defend the land that God gave them.
0: Wow. Yeah. To answer your question, there are no winners here.
1: No, there are no winners here. Mm-mm. And that's what, that's what makes it so complicated because you can feel very strongly, like you can very strongly have sympathy for one side or the other, but then also you can kind of see the point of the opposing side. You know, there's not, yes. that's why a lot of times when people people are hesitant to take a firm stand on like, are you pro-Israel? Are you pro-Palestine for this exact reason? Because it is so convoluted that you can kind of understand how each one of them has ended up in their, in their particular camp. But of course, this has now led to decades of war and unrest and how many thousands of lives lost. Yeah. So it's a, it's a problem for people of peace, which we as Christians and as Catholics, we are. It's, it's a constant problem for people of peace because you want there to be peace in that region. But what does it look like? Um, that's the question. What does it look like? Perhaps, yeah. What right? does it look like?
0: Okay. So let's talk about what's been, so we talked about what happened all these years ago, what's been going on for what? 73 years, but probably longer, but officially 73 years. Let's talk about what's going on for the
1: last 11 days. Yes. Yes. Um, So what's been happening for the last 11 days actually has roots in all of this complicated history and also in events of a little over a month ago. Okay, Okay. so I'm going to go back to April 13th. April 13th was the first day of Ramadan Mm -hmm. and it was also Jewish Memorial Day. Now, for those of you who don't know a lot about the geography of the Holy Land, the Islamic sites, the Jewish sites, and the Christian sites are basically all on top of each other. In the case of, of, um, of the Jewish and Muslims, there's a mosque called Al-Aqsa Mosque that was literally built right on top of Temple Mount, which is oh. the, the ruins of the Jewish temple. So when I say like on top of, I yeah. mean they're on top of each other. Oh, yes. Okay. And sometimes you'll see like people praying at something called the Western Wall. The mm-hmm. Western Wall is one of the exterior walls of Temple Mount. Okay, so these are, these are shared spaces. So it's the first day of Ramadan, and it's also Jewish Memorial Day. The President of Israel wanted to give a Memorial Day speech at the Western Wall. However, since it was the first day of Ramadan, the Al-Aqsa Mosque was also broadcasting calls to prayer. for the first day of ramadan
0: wait so is the okay i'm just so confused you keep saying isn't there also a wailing wall
1: there is a wailing wall yes
0: okay that's not the same thing though
1: the wailing wall and the western wall two names for the same location okay okay um so the president of israel wants to give a speech the al aqsa mosque is issuing their calls to prayer for the first day of ramadan The Israelis sent a request to the mosque to stop broadcasting so that they don't interrupt the president's speech. And the mosque declines because they consider this like one of their most holy days and these calls to prayer is essential. They considered the request to be disrespectful of their faith. So the Israeli police then raided the mosque during the services and cut the cords to the loudspeakers. Oh, my gosh! Yeah. So um, so the Palestinian people felt slighted by that? Oh, just a little bit. Yeah. Um, because the mosque was raided and the cords of the loudspeakers were cut. Now, this is approximately a month before the fighting breaks out. And one thing you should know about the Israeli government is that our, the current regime under Benjamin Netanyahu, has not really been active in trying to resolve the conflict. They've just been trying to contain it, right? To like to try okay. to keep keep the conflicts down and keep things as sort of the status quo. And there have been sort of provocations on both sides. Okay. Well, this yeah. incident at the mosque on the first day of Ramadan is kind of a spark that lit this powder keg of built up frustration. Yeah. Uh, between Israelis and Palestinians. But I, I have to say that on, Israel, on the Israeli side, they didn't seem to see this coming. They thought that everything was contained, that everything was okay, um, but they had failed to recognize a growing grassroots and organizing um, atmosphere that was happening on the Palestinian side. Because another thing that was going on right around the same time is that um, there were six Palestinian families that were under threat of being expelled from their homes in East Jerusalem.
0: Okay. Now,
1: the reason why they were under threat of being expelled is because there's an Israeli law that allows Jewish people to reclaim land in East Jerusalem, which is the Palestinian section, if they can prove that they owned it before 1948. Mind you, there is no similar law that allows Palestinians to reclaim any of yes. their land. Okay? okay. So under this law, then, there was a claim made to these six families' homes. And so they are they are under threat of losing their homes. This has still not been resolved, right? And so there's a grassroots effort, a protest effort to protest these expulsions. And in addition, there had been several raids of the mosque over time. And so they were also protesting raids of the mosque. So here's another raid in this atmosphere where these families are being expelled and people are already up in arms about it. And it just sort of sparks off clashes. So there are nightly clashes between police and protesters in East Jerusalem. And those are the media images that we've been getting in the United States, right? Okay. And then this escalates. It escalates into, um, Muslims attacking Jews, and then it escalates further to this big Jewish march through Jerusalem where they're chanting death to Arabs, and then it escalates even farther to um, attacks on Arab homes and Arab people, and these happen to be caught on camera, and that starts to trickle into our media, right? Because remember I said, you know, for the Palestinians, like, they feel like they're being pushed out right? right. They, they have felt that way since 1948. But then on the Israeli side, they view the Palestinians as a threat to their nation, right? And within reason, threats have been made to Israel, right? So they view the Palestinians as a threat to their nation. And for the Palesti- Palestinians living within Israel, they feel like they are disloyal. And so they also feel like there's this internal threat from the Palestinians, okay? So that's sort of the backdrop of, of what's happening here. So a few more things happen. Um, there are additional raids on the mosques. Uh, there's a there's additional conflict between the police. On May 4th, Hamas, which is a, um, a, both a governmental group and also an extremist group
0: mm-hmm. in
1: Palestine, they issue an ultimatum to Israel. They say, leave East Jerusalem, uh, stop attacking Palestinians, or you'll face the consequences on May 7th, May 7th was the last day of Ramadan, the Israeli police again raid Al-Aqsa Mosque. So they raided Al-Aqsa Mosque on the first day of Ramadan and then they raided on the last day of Ramadan. This time they say that they had to raid the mosque because protesters were stockpiling stones to be used to assault the Israeli police, okay? That doesn't change the fact that this is a mosque that they're raiding and they use- yeah, and they use the same kind of um, riot control tactics we're used to here, um, mm-hmm. like stun grenades, rubber bullets, tear gas, like that sort of thing happening inside of the mosque.
0: Okay, okay. I'm wondering why they're using the same tactics. Where did they get them from? Anyway, go ahead.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> um so it's at this point on May 7th that the Israeli government is finally like, you know what, we probably need to lower the temperature, right? These images are getting out into into international spaces and mm-hmm. people are starting to complain, let's lower the temperature. Um, but by that time, it's too little, too late. Mm-hmm. We get to May 10th, which is Jerusalem Day. That also was supposed to be the day the court decided whether or not those six Palestinian Palestinian families got thrown out. Um, There were clashes between protesters uh, and the Israeli police. Al-Aqsa is raided again. And then that night on the 10th is when the first Hamas rockets are fired into Israel. Okay. So here we are on the 20th. Uh, Over 200 Palestinians have been killed in this conflict. Nearly 2,000 have been injured. Palestinians claim that Israelis were targeting civilians intentionally. Israelis deny that. They say that they were targeting uh, Hamas terrorists, but that those terrorists had embedded themselves in civilian life. And so that's what that's Israel's defense. Uh, on the Israeli side, there were 12 deaths reported. Um, because they've got a very effective missile defense system. So, although they were getting bombarded with rockets from Gaza, their missile defense system was shooting them all out of the sky. So, the death toll is significantly less for, for Israel. Israel, yeah. And so, today we got news right before we started recording that there is a ceasefire yes. that's supposed to go into effect in the next 24 hours. So, we are going to pray and hope that that ceasefire holds. Historically, it has taken several ceasefires before fire actually ceased. Mm-hmm. So we are going to hope and we are going to pray that the ceasefire holds. Um, but there's just, we have to get creative and find some kind of solution to the conflict. Because otherwise, you're going to keep getting this fighting. It's not going to magically go away. So burying our head in the sand um, and or just trying to contain it uh, is not going to be enough to ensure that both the Palestinians and the Israelis can live lives free of violence.
0: Yes. And that's, and that brings us to our Catholic social teaching, the dignity of life um, and like consistent life, life ethic, like where every human being is free from violence for their whole lifetime. And that's important. And no matter what side you're on, no matter where, or even gosh, why are there sides in this? Do you know what I mean? Right. Like, like and here's the thing, like you really did uncomplicate this for me, Dee Dee, because I was really like, I don't, <laughs> do you know what I mean? I don't understand. Um, and like I said, how our podcast we uncomplicate things to make your life more complicated, but there is no side, right? There is no, mm-hmm. I don't feel like there is a, um, a good side or a bad side. I just feel like people, we've got hurt people. On either side, trying to establish a homeland and a livelihood and roots, um, and because of the conflict, um, and because of actually situations beyond their control, because there are people—even though my grandmother is older than Israel—this um, was established by people who are no longer in power and some no longer alive. Right. And here we are.
1: And here we are. Yeah, and and we can't overlook. The international role in this, um, yes, there was a there was a determination um, by the UN, by Britain and by France, and eventually by the United States to take a firm position in establishing a state, an Israeli state in Palestine, and the Palestinian people were not given any choice or any say in this, and the, like that part of it. We cannot overlook, there is there's definitely a um, European imperialist edge to this, right? So you've probably heard that term before, European imperialism, especially in school, in your history courses. So the age of European imperialism is basically the 19th century, um, but can also include a little bit before that time period, so a little bit of the 18th century and a little bit after that time period, um, so a little bit of the 20th century, historians seem to agree that the age of imperialism kind of ended with World War I, um, so ended right around 1914, but definitely the legacy continues. And so that legacy of British imperialism uh, or imperialist, British imperialist mindset we can kind of see in terms of the dealing with Palestine, right? This British mandate to govern this area, right? So they have administrative control of local people, not necessarily, um, you know, taking over and forcing everyone into labor camps, but rather uh, having administrative control of the area. And that technique had been used all throughout the world to enable uh, european countries to gain vast amounts of wealth and vast amounts of influence uh, taking a lot of the natural resources out of countries committing many human rights atrocities and so when you get to sort of a decolonization anti-imperialist movement after world war ii a lot of these places are left devastated right they they have been plundered of their natural resources and their governments are rife with corruption as a legacy of european imperialism so that's definitely a factor here the legacy of that is definitely a factor here i mean we can look at for instance you know people oftentimes lament what seems like constant conflict in african countries but we also have to recognize that Europeans sat around a, a map of Africa and carved it up amongst themselves without yes, okay. any respect for cultural boundaries, tribal boundaries, rivalries, faith, like language. None. They just carved it up. Right.
0: Yeah. So, we see that with the Commonwealth, like
1: with the British Commonwealth, like there
0: are parts of Africa that belong to the Commonwealth. Correct. Right. Right. Yeah, that's. And it's like, what is that? What what do Britons have to do anything with Africa? <laughs> like, just yeah. But
1: you know, that's you know the the age of imperialism, and when everyone was in school, they learned about the the age of imperialism, and it it really, um, for the British especially, there was this saying that the sun would never set on Britain. Yeah. Um, and that was because they had so many, uh, yes. so it many didn't. colonies all over the world. Yeah. You also have to consider that. Europeans coming into this area of Palestine and saying, we're going to carve out this spot for Israel, hits all kinds of notes of colonization um, amongst the Palestinian people. And I think even for us, we can kind of see some notes of the Black Lives Matter movements and protests that we saw in the united states we're talking about police clashes with grassroots organizers and in palestine in particular we're talking about the repeated raiding of one of the most important mosques in their area and it's really hard to overlook the power dynamic that's at play here and that all plays a role in terms of how Palestinians feel about constant international pressure and constant presence of Israeli troops and Israeli police within areas that are supposed to be theirs. You know, these are areas that are under dispute. Uh, These are areas that are occupied by Israelis, but the Palestinian people very much so feel like this is their land and that they are being oppressed and that they are the victim of of numerous human rights violations yeah and there's i mean we can't we can't rewrite history so sitting here in 2021 we can't rewrite 1948 but i think we have to take into account um how the nation of israel was established when we start figuring out how it is that we can ensure peace for israelis and for palestinians again, we, like we can't bury our head in the sand and pretend like this messy process didn't happen that created all of this frustration.
0: You yes. Know? So before I let you go, um, one of the things that we talked about with this was like just war theory or just war doctrine. And um, I didn't know a ton about it. Um, I just know that it's, I was like Thomas Aquinas, but I learned that It started with the classical philosophers with Plato and all those guys. Um, And it basically has three tenets where it is taking human life is seriously wrong. States have a duty to defend their citizens and defend justice and protecting innocent human life and defending important moral values sometimes requires willingness to use force and violence. And there, I mean, we, we see war all the time and i have yet to see with the i've I've yet to see a just war (laughs) right Mm -hmm. but um with this conflict Dee, i i think that i don't think it's well i mean it's human life that needs to definitely be valued and that's where when israel is using their defenses and which are stronger and things like that um i feel like well maybe maybe we shouldn't get in the weeds with this but religious freedom also has something should have a role and that, and do you know what I mean? Because like, there's so many aspects to human life that, like the, the like the dignity part of it, right? Mm-hmm. There's the survival part, and there's like the dignity part, and the part and the ability to thrive and things like that. Um, I totally, I, I just like I. So let, let's hear your comments on that. I'm just kind of, I'm still processing all the things that you just said to me, girl. <laughs> to know that. <laughs> um.
1: Okay. So. I think, I think St. Thomas Aquinas actually helps us sort of unpack just war theory a bit, especially from a Catholic perspective, uh-huh. because there are certainly um, a lot of Catholics and maybe some who are listening to us right now who are very pro-Israel, right? Israel uh-huh. absolutely has a right to defend themselves. And the minute those rockets started flying from Gaza, like, that's it, right? So there's sort of two halves to the Catholic conception of just war. And so the first half sort of has to do with the right to go to war in the first place. And so some principles there, um, coming from St. Augustine, but then St. Thomas Aquinas codifies it are like, you've got to have the authority, like you've got to be the sovereign power to declare the war. It has to have a good cause, like a, um, a cause related to some universal or ultimate good. Um, the, attentions all, the intentions also have to be good. So you can't launch a just war with evil intent. And then finally, and I think this is the most important one when we talk about this region, is that it should be the thing of last resort. Like mm-hmm. there's, we have tried literally everything else and this is our last resort, right? So that's the first thing, like you're right to... Conduct war. But then there's also this other side where it's like um, the that that regulates the way in which you wage war, right? And there's moral limits on, on what you can and what you cannot do, even if the war you're waging is justified. So, like, it's not all's fair. Like we hear that sometimes, like all's fair in love and war from a Catholic perspective. There's nothing fair about war. Yeah, there's no there's no all's fair in war. Um, And I think some of the some of the limitations there um, are really, really inform us thinking about the Israeli-Palestine conflict. Um, The first moral consideration is proportionality. Like, oh, yeah. how do you, yeah, like your use of force measured against what it's needed to correct uh, for whatever just cause you're pursuing, right? And so um, I think that that por- proportionality point is a really important one, because even as Hamas is lobbing all of these rockets at Israel, because of Israel's sophisticated missile defense system, it was a terrifying situation for Israel But it was a very low-casualty situation.
0: Right. This is like when you're the oldest. Like, I'm the oldest. And my little sister could, like, hit me or whatever. But if I hit her back, that's a lot more force than she hit me. Right? Like, I'm older and I'm stronger and I should know better.
1: Mm -hmm. And that's
0: that's kind of the same thing.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. Hamas has very limited, if any, missile defense. So that means that every Israeli missile is gonna has the potential to hit its target, every single one. Um, and so that's a consideration that has to be taken when we're talking about, you know, trying to argue that this was a just response. Mm-hmm. The other point I think is also important. Uh, another thing you have to consider is discrimination, not like race-based discrimination, but rather like discrimination between combatants and non-combatants, right? And so the death toll in Palestine is so high because Israel was not able to effectively discriminate between combatants and non-combatants, right? Like yeah. if the combatants were somewhere near a hospital, then that hospital was gonna get struck. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right? But also at that hospital were all of these non-combatants, right? Like that's the constant that I mean, that's the constant struggle of guerrilla warfare, right? When it's guerrilla warfare, you embed yourself in a in another society. But then the loss of life is so is so much higher, right? So much higher. Um, and we've seen and we've also seen those images in the media. We've seen the the high rises on fire. We've seen the bombed out mm-hmm. hospitals, et cetera. Um, and then the last thing um, to take into consideration when we're thinking about like the moral limits of what you do in war is responsibility. Like, if the war has a good end, like that good end of war must outweigh the damage that's going to be done by it. Right, like it's not enough for me to say the end of this war is good the end of this war is so good that it is worth the loss of life and i think for a lot of us especially those of us who identify as consistent life ethic that's the part where we have a hard time finding any just war
0: yeah that's yeah absolutely and i think that's where um I remember when I was in World History, I think we read The Prince by Machiavelli, and which was like a lot for a ninth grader to read, but that's cool. Um <laughs> but he talks like he's like the end justifies the means. And there are a lot of people that go into that, like go into it thinking it's like, no, there's sometimes there's no justifying the means.
1: Yeah. Um and that's explicitly against Catholic teaching. The ends justify the means. It's explicitly yes, against it's, Catholic yes. teaching. Catholics do not argue that the ends justify the means. Absolutely not. The no. end. The end must be good, and the means must be good.
0: Yes, and that's where that um, that's where Just War doctrine and Just War theory like would combat that. Those thoughts, because we live in a society where we're like, as long as it work because that's a whole everything will work out fine in the end type deal. Like that's a more of a live, laugh, love way to put it. The same, mm-hmm. the same, and I think that's what we're so used to. Well, as long as it works out in the end, as long as it works out in the end, and it's like, but so much is destroyed. Um, like, like yeah, we have, gosh, we have to make sure the means are good, right? We have to make, we're gonna make sure that's gonna out. You know what I mean? We like if the good's gonna outweigh the damage we need to make sure the means are good
1: right and so i'm i mean i feel like this is this is to a certain extent you know monday morning quarterbacking but right
0: i mean um, we're not in it so that's all we're gonna yeah
1: do. um but you know israel didn't put forth serious efforts to bring down the temperature until we got all the way to may 7th and there had been clashes between police and Palestinians since April thirteenth, right? Yeah. So I think one could say that Benjamin's Net- Netanyahu's policy of of sort of containment of the threat, as opposed to seeking a solution to the threat, mm-hmm. is failing, and and it's resulting in yeah. in the in loss of life. Um, I think I think all parties need to go back to the table and and be active and fervent and trying to pursue peace. Yeah. And that is going to mean that both sides will have to give up something. That is the nature of negotiation and yes. settlement. And it's hard for I can kind of sympathize with Israel on this point. When you truly believe that God gave you this piece of land, it is really hard to argue against God gave me this land right right but what i will say is this that as catholics we know that the virtue of mercy sometimes compels us to go beyond even what is just in pursuit of love in pursuit of charity so i think leaning hard on the virtue of mercy might might open an avenue for people to say God definitely gave me this land, but also there were people here and how can I do right by them?
0: Right. Amen. Like, yes, I, uh, just like with anything God gives us, it's ours to share. It's not ours to keep, you know, or ours to like, you know, have a chokehold or a stronghold on. (laughs) So we say that all the time with our talents, right? God gave me this talent. It's not mine to hoard and not mine, you know what I mean? To do what I will with it. Or do you know, like I, I mean that, I don't want to make it like too simplistic or like reductive of their God gave me this land, but mm-hmm. gosh, if God, got, if like, when God gives you a gift, it's not, it's meant to be shared. And right. I don't know, I can't, uh, here's the thing, Didi, we have to love them both. Like yeah. with, palestine with israel we have to love them both Mm -hmm. and with even in this conflict or you know people are taking sides or they're saying this or um i think that we can love them both i think that like you said we can understand palestine's points of view without being anti-semitic right Right. like that um and we can understand israel's point of view without being like yeah they should have been bombed do you know what i mean like right Right. I think that like, I think that we, there is an opportunity for us to love them both, but I also like, I I mean, like there's always opportunity to love them both. I just, all I can do is pray. Like I'm not like, I'm not going to go, no one's going to want, Hey guys, it's me, Marcia. Let me help you out here. I love you both. Like that does nothing for them right now. Right. <laughs> but I think that we keep hearing I'm so glad that you came on in and talked about this because I didn't know, not that I didn't know what to believe, but I just didn't know how to feel about it all. Right. Like right. I hear one side, I hear this side, I hear like there's this, a lot happening and it quite literally needs to be uncomplicated for me, which made it more complicated, but I understand better. Yeah. And now I, fe- now I feel like I can say something and it actually puts me in and that's the thing. I was willing to listen, and I sought you out so I can learn. And it puts me in the shoes of a lot of people, but not it doesn't doesn't excuse them. I'm tell you that right now. That decided to remain silent. Um, that that are decided to remain silent when we talk about Black Lives Matter or things that are going on in our country, um, because like you know, people say like I was really afraid of saying the wrong thing, so I didn't say right. anything. And right. I like this. The last eleven days, I've been like. Well, I know it's been more than eleven years, but I've only known about it for so long. I've been kind of like, I don't know what to say. I'm praying for everybody, and it was uncomfortable. But I was like, I need to learn, and I was like, Dee Dee, historian, <laughs> educator,
1: <laughs>
0: I'm gonna need you to teach me, please. <laughs>
1: and thank well, you so much I,
0: for all of us.
1: <laughs> yeah, I hope it. I hope it helped at least a little bit. I will say, you know, when I started out, I said that I often asked my students to reflect first before we got started on, on where they were, where they team Israel, where they team Palestine and why. By the end of the lesson there, the most, the most dominant response was always, well, now I don't know. And yeah. I, I think that if, if your response to the information is, well, now I'm a bit conflicted, I think that is the right disposition because there isn't a clear cut answer here. It is complicated. And we have to acknowledge that it's complicated, and and move towards peace with the knowledge that it is going to take a lot of work. Um, and again, that message of mercy. Um, one of the things that I always um, reiterate to folks is that mercy is always, always unmerited, always. So when you say that you are going to be merciful towards someone you're saying that you are going to give them a gift that is not merited. And you're going to do it because God gave you that gift, right? God was merciful towards us, gave us a plan of salvation, even though we did not and could not merit it, Mm -hmm. right? So when we give mercy, we're mirroring the mercy that we got. So whether you're Israel or whether you're Palestine, I think ultimately mercy is the answer. Because I think both sides have legitimate grievances, but I think mercy can propel us to um, to give a little in the pursuit of peace.
0: Yeah. Hmm. Well, there's that. <laughs> 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 wow, we just covered it all. You gave us a history lesson a current events lesson. I think there's like a civics lesson in there. <laughs> <laughs> Philosophy. <laughs> we even got to talk about um like like Black Lives Matter a little bit. <laughs> yeah. I love um, that. Is there anything else that we should know or we would like to add?
1: Um I mean I think there's lots of areas for further research for those who are interested. Um, you can get really into the weeds on all of the Congresses and declarations and agreements that led to the establishing of the State of Israel, the role of the United Nations. Um, you, can, you can really dig deep into just war theory if you, if you were so interested. Um, two things I would like to encourage people to do um, is if you are able Um, because Palestine sustained so much damage over the last 11 days, there's a Mm -hmm. big need for humanitarian aid. Yeah. So seek out organizations that you are um, comfortable donating to. And I would say that that's a big thing you can do for for Palestinians. Mm -hmm. And there are some Catholic organizations as well. When we talk about the Palestinians, we oftentimes focus on... Um, Muslim Palestinians, but there are Christian and Jewish Palestinians as well. Um, and there's a there is a a Christian Palestinian community that lives in Gaza. Um, so, so there are um, uh, there are also ways in which you could give through Catholic organizations to support the people in Palestine. Okay. Um, so that would that would be something that I would say to um, consider. And then also, you know, just keep your, your, keep your ears open. We're, we are praying that the ceasefire holds. And so I think that that's something you could take with you as an intention for your prayer time is that the ceasefire holds. Um, and that people will come back to the table and actively work on a peaceful solution.
0: Yeah. Because you were saying, like, they just want to contain it. And I was like, containers have limits. Like we can't, we can't contain everything. And I, right. yeah, so we have to, like we do, we, I'm just going to spend some time in prayer and I help. this helps me understand, you know, you should always be specific in your prayer and not that I'm going to go tell God what to do with the world's ills, but, um, it helps me to understand what I'm praying for. Cause usually I'm just like, God, help the war that's happening, <laughs> like yeah.
1: what's going on. And,
0: but, uh, I think that my prayer is intentionally going to be to love them both. And,
1: right. Right. God Absolutely. helped me to love them both and God help, help them to love each other. <laughs> yes. Right. Um, you know, that I, I think praying for the gifts of the Holy Spirit um, is always fruitful, but especially in this, in this situation, you know, um, Father Josh oftentimes says when he's getting ready to tackle a controversial um, conversation, he, he oftentimes says that he will pray for the gift of tongues so that those who are hearing him so that so that he can say what God wills for him to say, and then for those who are hearing him he prays for the gift of interpretation so that they can hear what they need to hear um, and so I think that that's when it comes to um, Israeli and Palestinian peace, I think that praying for that gift of of tongues, that gift of interpretation, the gift of understanding, the gift of wisdom. Um, I think those are specific prayers um, and also just an increase in mercy um, and justice, justice and mercy and love for both sides. I think is fruitful and also for ourselves as we try to digest and understand the information.
0: Yeah. And also that I, I think that there is like with this, how I was like nervous about saying anything. Um, and I, I mean, I still posted something about like prayers or something, but I just think that, we're able to understand that sometimes what we need to say, um, like recognize when maybe we shouldn't say something, but definitely speak up when we should. And yeah. I think that's um, like, I'm just going to like, this is, this is blowing my mind, girl. Like I I think you're so much like, seriously, thank you. I'm all complicated now. This is like, <laughs> that's what you did. No. And that's the thing. We're like, um, well, not, not, I'm not conflicted anymore about what to feel or what to think or anything. Um, and you have uncomplicated it. I just that it is so complicated now that I understand that. Like, as um, the philosopher Levine, do you know, the philosopher Levine said, why does everything have to be so complicated? Mm-hmm. Um, you, you're not even <laughs> I, I was like, come on, millennials. Hey, millennials. <laughs> 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 oh my goodness. <laughs> you're, like, you're like, why do I feel like that should be put to music? <laughs> oh my <sighs> gosh. Anyway, life's like this. Life's like this. Um, oh my goodness.
1: Needy, <laughs> right. thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for having me. Thank you for allowing me to complicate slash um, uncomplicate slash whatever I did. I just hope it was helpful. There, there was somewhere, a nugget in there somewhere that was useful to someone.
0: Oh, there are many nuggets. So <laughs> thank you very much. You have a good week. Who knows, who knows what'll be going on in the next couple of weeks. If you like, can we make this a hat trick? Can we make this a hat <laughs> trick podcast um, experience? We will see. Um, once again, thank you so much for your expertise and your insight and just man the way that you the way that you like drop that knowledge i'm like thank you you are you're you're a gift and i appreciate you (laughs) thank
1: Thank you so much (laughs) you have a good one all right you too bye
0: well friends that's all we have for today's episode of let's uncomplicate this i hope that you've learned something i know i learned a lot from everything that didi had to say I hope that you're able It's able to help you understand the news, what's happening as it's going, how we can maintain our consistent life ethic and anti-racism in our own lives. As I said before, this is a Patreon-only podcast, and if you would like to get more content like this, please subscribe to our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash That's patreon.com slash C-U-B-L org. Thanks for listening.